0: Okay, Warriors, you are listening to Unqualified Therapists. Remember, stay wild and weird.
1: Hey, Warriors, this is Amy. And I'm Sarah. Yeah. Welcome back everyone to another episode of the Unqualified Therapist. Hello, hello
0: all. Welcome to November, or if you are familiar with Men's Mental Health Awareness Month, Movember. And we are so excited today because we are, for the first time since we've been on the podcast, are celebrating Movember and actually have someone on with us who's going to help school us in everything Movember. Welcome Simon Rennie, he is from Australia, and we are just Woo-hoo. loving his accent, first of all. <laughs> but he is a social worker, a men's mental health advocate, and host of the podcast Mindful Men. He's all about supporting men to think mindfully about their mental health, fatherhood, and modern masculinity. Welcome Simon, thanks so much for coming on with us.
2: G'day mate, how you going? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Sorry, I had I was to like, do that.
1: He knew, so he, knew. Boring. I know. he knew he would get us with that. My face was like, oh, that was amazing. Oh, that was so good. Oh, oh
0: We're wow, so boring we're like here Hello. in America.
2: <laughs> well, thank, thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here for Movember. And even, we're talking off, offline that I can't actually grow a Mo, but I am all about Movember <laughs> and men's mental health and, and, and general health and well-being as well. So really happy to be here.
0: We are so happy you're here. Yeah, we were talking about uh the the mustache part of this and how my husband has a full beard and he he was wanting to get an, in on the action and so he shaved the whole beard and left the mustache and he came in and I said, "Nope." It's <laughs> like we we're, we're going to have to pick another way of advocating besides the mustache. I can't look at you all month like that. It just it's not. <laughs> did you get did you at least get a picture? He took his own picture. It was a very um <clears throat> sultry face with <laughs> the mustache. So I was going to looked... say we would post it, but I don't know. No, he <laughs> looks criminal. It's bad. <laughs> <laughs> Mustaches are creepy, but November's amazing. November is amazing. I just think that there are people who can pull them off and people who just cannot, and he is one that just cannot.
2: Yeah, Yeah, I'm definitely in that bracket as well. So I hear you.
0: (laughs) We just want to jump right into things. That's kind of how we do it here. Um, We dig into all the deep stuff pretty much right away. So Simon, how did you get to this point, to starting this podcast? What brought you here?
2: Wow, there's a lot to unpack. Uh, Over 39 years, but I'll try and get to it pretty quickly. Um, So essentially, so I'm 39 I'm a dad, I'm a husband, and I've lived with mental illness since I was eight years old. And when I say mental illness, I was it was undiagnosed obsessive compulsive disorder, uh, depression and anxiety between eight and 28 years old. And so it was only 10 years ago that I went into the doctor's office and I said, I think I've got mental health issues. I need to talk about it. And then got my diagnosis and started, I guess, a 10 year recovery process of different therapy, medication, Um you know learning about myself and and mindfulness so we talk about mindful men um mindfulness is a big part of my recovery process as well and so this yeah it's it's only come about the mindful men podcast and the mindful men social media platform since 2020 2021 when i experienced burnout in the workplace as well so i've experienced burnout too and i use that that recovery process as a part of me essentially coming I don't, you know, coming out into the world saying, hey, I'm a man and I've got mental health issues because when I went back to work after burnout, I wanted to share the burnout story because, you know, I knew a lot of people in the workplace were also feeling the same as I, were, how I was. And <clears throat> I used that as a platform to say, hey, I also live with OCD, depression, and anxiety, and let's talk about all of it because it's all intertwined with each other. And and that from doing that, a lot of people came forward and said, Simon, so so, thanks so much. Like. I've been experienced similar. Or I know somebody who's experienced similar as well. And then so I got this momentum and started my Instagram account and then it became the Mindful Men Podcast. And then last year, I also finished my Masters of Social Work. And then this year I was able to essentially extend mindful men, mindful men into a therapy business as well. So I provide uh, in-person and telehealth therapy for dedicated for men, but also for women as well who want to work with a man. Um, and I focus on men just because of my own journey. I don't know how hard it is to talk, and I get it. You know, I've been, I've, I've walked in the shoes of depression. I've walked in the shoes of anxiety. I've had suicidal ideation. There's been moments where I didn't want to wake up at night time. Um, I really understand obsessive compulsive disorder, which is so misunderstood in society and often trivialised. Um, you know, people, a lot of people use it as a, a bit of a personality quirk type thing, when it can be a really mm-hmm. debilitating disorder it's actually a disorder um and so i I get it i've lived it and let's use that lived experience but also my learned experience with social work to help guys to open up and and become mindful of who they are how they're showing up and then how you know help them grow into the person they've always wanted to be not the kind of the guy that they've just been on autopilot with you know, for, for me, it was, you know, over 30 years. So, so yeah, that's kind of what I do over that's all the, the impact of mental illness over me for 30 years in what, two or three minutes.
1: (laughs) It is hard to like tell the story. Sarah and I, when we're on podcasts, we're like, well, and it's like, you have to really like get it down there, but it's so much more than that. Um, but you did a really great job Mm. explaining it from start to where you're at now. (laughs) Um, maybe you can, and we've talked on here a little bit about obsessive compulsive disorder, but maybe you can describe to us, um, what it looks like for you, what it looks like for you. And you're right. There's, we talk about language and how hurtful that can be, um, with all of the mental illnesses when people just trivialize them and say, you know, you're so OCD or you're so bipolar or whatever it is. Um, so what does that look like in your uh, situation?
2: Yeah, so <clears throat> I'll take you back to where it started. So I grew up in the 80s and 90s in a place called Adelaide. So it's in South Australia. So it's not in Queensland where I live now. And where I grew up was very working class. There's pockets of, of welfare and low socioeconomics. Um, a lot of people in services style jobs, like my mum was a cleaner, for example, um, or trades or manufacturing. And, and I, I referenced the 80s and 90s because this was the time before social media, before smartphones, before internet in a lot of cases in a lot of households and so my understanding of what it meant to be a boy and to be a man and to be masculine was informed by the guys around me and the people around me so I had I grew up in a household with three brothers and two of them were older than me and my dad we played Australian rules football so if if you're not familiar with it it's like it's like the NFL but without pads And you can get hit from all sorts of different directions and it's quite a, a brutal sport you can get seriously hurt playing it um so i grew up playing that did a lot of track and field in the summer as well it's a very sporty household and then like the things that we would watch on tv that was the only real other outlet for how to understand the world so we watched football so we played it and watched it we would watch movies like the terminator and Rambo and Die Hard. Like these are very hyper masculine things that I'm consuming as as a, as a child, essentially. And then and so to, to understand the world was me to go, OK, I need to be a man and, and not cry and not show emotions, to suck it up, not talk about things because we don't talk about things like that. And in reality, mental health discussions, I don't even think it was in the dictionary back then. You know, what is mental health? What is mental illness? I don't know, no one no one I knew around like talked about it. And so I didn't have an avenue to talk about it either. So when I became, when I turned eight, I remember being in the schoolyard and another, another student said to me, Simon, if you stop talking for more than a minute, you're going to lose your voice forever. And so what this triggered in me was this huge overwhelm of anxiety. I'm like, I'm eight, I cannot have this happen to me. And so what that did was it it, it set off what's called the, the the O in OCD, the obsessive thought that you can't get out of your mind without performing what's called a compulsive act, which is the C in OCD. It's, it's a behaviour, essentially. So to constantly check that my voice was there, I would hum to myself. So, But it wouldn't be like humming like a song or a tune. It would be like mm, mm, constantly, all day, every day. And nobody ever said, like, I've been reflecting on this recently, nobody ever said, oh, Simon, we, we heard you humming or, or stop humming or anything like that. Nobody ever said that because I would do it so quietly and I'd do it away from people so they wouldn't think that I'm weird or, or anything like that. And I did that for about two years, roughly, a year and a half to two years. Um, and where it becomes a disorder is when you're doing something for more than an hour of your day and it's quite a significant impact on your day as well. And so I'm doing this... And even though the hum's like for literally a, a microsecond, I'm doing so many of them and, it be, and it's just all consuming. I and mean, then if I don't do the hum, the anxiety of the obsessive thought just becomes so much, it becomes unbearable. I can't not think about it. And by doing the compulsive act, it alleviates it and it lets my brain stop thinking about that particular issue. And so OCD dev- evolved for me over the years and I still live with it today. Um, in our, in our early teens, mum and dad split up and separated. And me and my youngest brother went with mum and to live with mum. And my two oldest brothers stayed home with dad. And, and so I c- kind of became the man of the house. And, and I felt like this overwhelming need to A, keep everyone safe, but also this overwhelming fear that I was unsafe and I was insecure. And, and so I would spend two to three hours every night locking up the house. So I'd go maps oh. to the front door, I'd have to touch it in certain ways, I'd have to check the locks closed, and then I would proceed to like the windows, the curtains had to be drawn in a certain way. I'd go outside, you know, I could be in the middle of the winter and I'm outside in the pouring rain or hail or you know freezing cold, checking gates and on doors and the car was locked, all this type of stuff. Because I had this overwhelming fear that someone's going to break in and steal our stuff if we didn't have much, um, or they're going to hurt us or kill us or kidnap us or whatever. Now, I didn't grow up in an environment that that was likely to happen. Like, it was still a safe environment, although there was, given it was low socioeconomic, there was a bit of, you know, raff around, there was a bit of troublemakers and all that type of stuff. So, it potentially could have happened, but the likelihood was probably very low. But in my mind, in the OCD mind, it was 100% likely that if I didn't do these routines, it was going to happen. Um, and so it even extended to checking that the appliances were off because I always had this fear mm-hmm. of the house burning down when I was asleep. So it was making sure the iron was off and the stove was off and the oven and the fridge door was closed properly because I was worried that these things would catch something alight and burn us down. Um, and even in the schoolyard, like to going to school and I'd, I'd pack my bag. So I'd be obsessively checking my bag for my books for the day because I wanted to avoid getting in trouble for not bringing my books. But also my wallet and keys and the wallet and keys was a big one because if I lost my wallet and keys, then someone might I, a, identify where I lived and b have the means to get in my house because I got my keys as well. And, and then so the safety thing triggered again. Yeah. So I check and check and check, but I checked so much that then I'd start checking because I checked because yeah. I was worried that through the checking process, my wallet mm-hmm. and keys dropped out of the bank, mm-hmm. for example. Um, and so these are some of the ways that it's turned up, and it's even relating to my car, like you know, checking that the hand handbrakes up so that doesn't roll down and kill everybody down the hill, and all this type of stuff. Um, and even in my professional career, so for the last fifteen years, I've been a public servant, so working in government roles, checking things like emails. So for for most people, would write an email, take five, two minutes, five minutes, whatever it is. Hey, how are you going? Here's the text from me and they would send it and that would be it. But for me, I would need to make that email perfect for things like tone, because I'd be worried about how the person's gonna receive it, are they gonna think badly of me, all this type of stuff. But in a weird way, the OCD, would when I click send, I would then need to go check the sent box because I had this overwhelming fear that somehow the words would change after I click send and the Mm. distribution list would change and then I started worrying, okay, what if it went to the wrong person? Or what if I missed something? What if I missed something in there that could be offensive to the other person? And, and so all of this stuff that I was doing, I did it in silence. Nobody knew I was doing any of this stuff ever. No one's ever said anything to me until I met my now wife, who started to recognize some of these things, you know, early on in, in our relationship. And, and from there, you know, it took a long time for me to go to the doctor and even learn what OCD was. Because when I went to that doctor and I said, I think I've got mental health issues, they refer me to a psychologist who did the testing and some assessments and they said, yep, Simon, you've got depression. I kind of knew that that was okay. You've got anxiety as well. Okay. <clears throat> I didn't really know I had anxiety, but cool. You've also got obsessive compulsive disorder and I'm like, what the hell is that? i've never even heard of that you know and and the more i read up about it i'm like okay it makes sense the things that i do suddenly make sense and the the way that my brain works and stuff like that but for for a long time and 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 ocds are a really unique condition because they say on average it takes someone on average about 15 or so years from first symptom to first treatment because a lot of people who live with OCD, they, it can be a really weird thing so that when inside your mind it's 100%, if I don't do this this behaviour, my obsessive thought will come true. Mm. But when you say it out loud and when I say like the thing about losing my voice, it can sound ridiculous. Yeah. And so by voicing it out, a lot of people with OCD and mental illness more generally, like they feel a lot of shame and stigma associated with that and if they talk it, about it, yeah. They feel like they might get locked up or the police might come and take your kids away if you're a parent or, or, or you might have to get taken out of the home or whatever. And, and, and in reality, a lot of this doesn't actually happen, but it's internalized. Yeah. We've internalized the shame and stigma, and so we keep quiet about it. And particularly in the OCD, when it takes so long to seek help. And I think part that's partly because community and society doesn't talk about OCD enough. When we talk about mental illness, we talk about depression and we talk about suicide. To a lesser mm-hmm. extent, PTSD, maybe anxiety, maybe some of the other big mental, you know, or psychosocial conditions like schizophrenia, for example. We might talk about that type of stuff. Certainly not OCD. And, and, it's, and as you said at the start of the show, it's like, oh, you're OCD or you're so OCD or I'm so OCD. Like in the workplace, we used to get a lot where people would look at a PowerPoint presentation. And because there's no yeah. full stop on a sentence, they say, oh, my OCD is killing me because there's no full stop at the end of this sentence.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm
2: like, that's a that's bs because that's not what ocd is and if you had spent even half an hour in my brain you would wouldn't be saying that yeah and so yeah so it's so i love coming on these shows to talk about ocd and thank you so much for asking me about what it's like for me to live with ocd because i love sharing about a what it all means what the actual ocd actually means because people don't understand that but then b showing you a, a snapshot of my life and then but there's so much more to OCD. There's people that do do the excessive hand washing, so cleanliness and mm-hmm. all that type of stuff. I don't do that. My house is a pigsty. I'm not really a neat freak because I've got two kids and it looks like a tornado's coming come through. But that doesn't bother me. Uh, other people, you know, there's harm OCD, there's pedophilia OCD, there's religion OCD. There's a whole you know, wave of different OCD themes that people live with. Mine's just a couple of them. Um, but they also often interlap. You might have sa- uh, sa- safety and harm. Most of has been something that's come up to me in the recent last couple of years around fears about accidentally stabbing someone if I'm holding a knife in the kitchen, cooking dinner. So I, start- I started avoiding knives for a little while and, and or just being really ultra careful when I'm holding a knife. And like, yeah, yeah that wasn't something that I really like. So um, fortunately for me, I've gone and sought help for it and I'm comfortable now seeking help. So whenever things come up for me, I'm straight to the doctor, straight to the counselor, or therapist or whoever I'm seeing at the time, getting help. But I know for so many people, that's such a hard thing to do. Um, and that's why I love yeah. talking about it, because I can show you and, and inspire people to say, if Simon can do it, I can do it, you know, let's do
1: it. Yeah,
0: it's so interesting as I just have started to learn the different types of OCD, my son, has diagnosed OCD and his, he gets, he has like the laser focus on something that, you know, he has to do multiple times a day, every single day. But you're right. Like he's not, I didn't know that he was OCD or had OCD because he's messy and he's, you know, it's, it's not with everything. It's like with one certain thing that he'll get like that with for a while. And so I was like, he doesn't have OCD. And then his psychiatrist is like, no, he definitely does. (laughs) And I was like, oh, and so I was then starting to get educated on the fact that there are these different kind of pockets, I guess, or or different categories of obsessive compulsive disorder that exist that I just had no idea about. So I, Mm. I- do i i really love learning about all of these things and hearing other people's experiences just to know also that you know this exists for other people he's not alone knowing that you're not alone is is very important it's interesting the harm ocd i just had listened to somebody else's story about that on another podcast it like breaks my heart you know for you that you would feel like that and have that fear to exist in your brain i also wonder like where does that coincide with intrusive thoughts because I feel like I've had intrusive thoughts like that before Mm. where I'm like what if this happened but I don't I haven't uh, obsessed over it or taken it to like a different level or thought it over and over again on multiple occasions it'll just come up sometimes that intrusive thought you're qualified we are unqualified (laughs) maybe you can help us (laughs) understand that a little bit kind of the difference between like the harm OCD and the intrusive thoughts process I'm
2: glad you you asked that question because it happened to me this year so I've never had harmless it hasn't been a theme in my life and then at the start of this year I was in a really bad depressive state what was happening was I'd finished my degree last year I knew I wanted to start this business which I now have I couldn't quite connect the dots from leaving my old career and and leaving a stable money that I've had for 15 years like income because I've still got to pay mortgages kids you know go to school and all that type of stuff And to start a business was like freaking me out never started a business so i was in a really bad state and my depression was up but also my ocd was up as well and and that's when i started getting these these thoughts about harming someone and i thought oh no i'm getting harm ocd like i don't want this i do not want to start a new theme of ocd i've been living with it for a long time i cannot deal with another one and so i went to the doctor and it was around the same time i was getting suicidal ideation. And so I went to the doctor and I was, I was, and I was worried about going to the doctor because I'm like, this is, I was like, if I tell him that I'm holding a mm-hmm. knife and then I'm getting these thoughts about stabbing my, my kids or yeah. my wife, not intentionally. And this is the thing with OCD. He's like, you don't want to do the obsessive. You don't want, you, you're not the person who's in your obsessive thoughts. They're just obsessive thoughts. And and he and he helped me qualify, quantify it as someone. An intrusive thought is is what you're experiencing is actually an intrusive thought. It's not an OCD thing that you're experiencing right now, because it. And for most people, the thought would come into your mind. It'd be intrusive. It'd be distressing, but you kind of just let it go, pretty easily. Mm-hmm. And with but with the OCD mind, you you dwell on it. You keep dwelling on it, and you can't get it out of your brain. And it, we just reconnected with my mindfulness techniques that I have been using for a long time now, or for a few years now. And I was able to recognise that yes, this is not OCD morphing into something new. It's just an intrusive thought. I experience them. I experience them just like everybody else experiences them, and everyone experiences them. Um, <clears throat> I've just got to recognise that when it's coming into my mind, that it's just a thought, not a new version of OCD starting up or, or whatever. Because I know what the other parts of my OCD are like, and and it's very different. So, yeah. Everyone gets these thoughts, but it's just how we deal with them and how we can process them and how quickly they move out of our brain. Because um, they do come in multiple times a day, it's like, but then most people just can just let it let it go without too much distress.
1: The different things that happened, even with the not worrying about not being able to talk or you know the different types of examples you were giving, is there like a conclusion? It happens for two years and then it went away or you had to work through it or does that still come up sometimes? in maybe like really low places
2: um the the speech one was only around one and a half to two years around the same time i was doing a lot of this this like it was weird a lot lot of things with like numbers in my head so i was calculating a lot like in groups of i call them clean numbers i don't know why i call them clean numbers it was like groups of three five ten twenty thirty i would just constantly be thinking in numbers but also in in, in writing with, with the fingertips on my hands, like on my skin or on a desk, words with double syllable, like, like you know, LL or like double letters. Like it's a double, double syllable. I don't even know what it's mm-hmm. called. Um, and I had this obsessive thing around writing them in cursive for some reason, on, like on my fingers. I don't know why. I think it was more of a textural thing, me I don't know coping with some other stresses that i was i was subconsciously coping with stress or, or anxiety and that was a way to calm the mind and focus the mind as well because i wasn't thinking about other things i was just focusing on the letters but then i had to get them just right i had to get the numbers thing just right i had to get the the cursive thing just right and if i didn't i would just keep repeating the cycle and that's a lot of the thing with ocds is like if me checking a door and it wasn't feeling just right when it was locked that's when I'm like constantly doing it, doing it, doing it and doing it and doing it until it was just right. Mm-hmm. So those few things kind of subsided over time. The checking of the house still happens. And if I'm stressed um, or anxious or feeling low or whatever, it would be more more profound as well. I'd be doing it more often. Um, but when I'm in a calm state, I'm not doing it so much. Um, but you can work through it, and, and it's not going to be not necessarily something that I'm here for, is here forever. I mean, I've been living with it for 30 years, but um, it's not necessarily going to be here for another 30 years. And there is a really cool technique that I found through Instagram, actually. And I'm, I'm glad, Sarah, you brought up the sense of community. Like once you realize that you're not alone in the world. And for me, that was discovering Instagram. For one, for, my wife had been telling me for years, get on Instagram because Facebook's boring. And I was like, no, Facebook's where it's at. But it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 through there, I when I started sharing my story, I started connecting with a whole bunch of other people with OCD accounts. And I never knew these people exist. I didn't know there was an OCD community of people out there sharing their stories or tips and tricks on how to deal with this. And through there, I I was introduced or I found this thing called exposure response prevention, Mm
1: -hmm. which
2: is the gold standard for treatment for OCD. So it forms under cognitive behavioral therapy, where you do a lot of processing around what are the cognitions that come in your thoughts that come into your mind? How can we control them so then we can control the behavior? Whereas an exposure response prevention takes it a little bit differently and where it accepts the thoughts coming into your mind because they're gonna come into your mind, but then it's also, it's more around preventing the response or preventing the behavior. So avoiding the behavior or changing the way that we do things. So for example, it could be, when I check the house, I do things in an order. So instead of doing one, two, three, four, five, it could be one, three, two, five, four. So what that does is it empowers me to take control back over my mind that I don't have to do it in a certain order I can change the order and it might provoke a bit of anxiety in me but I can work through that that's okay and then other days it might be if I'm feeling really good I could knock one of those numbers out so Mm -hmm. instead of doing number three I can just do one two five four or something and mix. and so this is exposure response prevention It's, it's deliberately exposing ourselves to triggers and then responding in a way that we can control as well so yeah taking control back over the brain and the thoughts as well and and through that kind of process you might get to a point where you no longer satisfy the criteria to have ocd Hmm. and it might be just more that you have ocd traits so it might be that it doesn't take you an hour of your day to do all this type of stuff anymore maybe you can control it within 15 or 20 minutes So then you're no longer classified as having OCD, just more the traits of OCD as well. So it is it is I don't like to use the word curable, but it is certainly something you can work through and it can become less of an impact um, depending on where you are, where you are in life. And if you're getting the right type of therapy and and, and, or support Um, medications, a big one as well. So, um, yeah. Courses for courses, really.
0: It sounds to me a little bit like that cursive double consonant thing is a little bit like a mindfulness activity for yourself because it's you're focusing on the repetitive action of doing something that pulls your brain, like you said, it pulls your brain away from that thought. Has mindfulness been a good practice for you in this?
2: Yeah, certainly. So thinking, I've never really thought about the letters thing like that before potentially that could have been a mindfulness thing i used to i know that it used to drive me crazy like to do it because i knew i was doing it I'm like i hate doing this why am i doing it so i think it became more of the compulsive thing as mm-hmm. opposed to a mindfulness approach but it certainly has the same kind of flavor to it as something that could take my mind and, and focus on something different um, but mindfulness came for me in 2020 went through burnout and i had lost all joy in 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 a lot of things in life, um, I was very cynical. I was ex- I was spent emotionally, spiritually, mentally, physically. I was just I was like a potato, basically, um, and not a very pleasant looking potato. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if there is a pleasant looking potato, but anyway. Um, and and through the therapy process, I was introduced to mindfulness, but it was the first introduction was gratitude journaling. And the whole idea was around with gratitude journaling it's to think of three things that you're grateful for all very well and good but for for people like me and i've spoken to a lot of people very similar they're like after about a week you're kind of regurgitating the same three things and it becomes very repetitive and for an ocd mind repetition is really annoying (laughs) because that's what we do (laughs) we don't want to do this repetitively and so I stopped doing that and I stopped I stopped mindfulness there um but then as I was proceeding through the end of my degree and I was starting to see the end finish line and I was going through the stuff at the start of this this year I went back to therapy and with a different provider a different therapist and he introduced me back to mindfulness but we switched it up a little bit and what we did was we looked at my daily he said instead of writing the three things you're grateful for because you're always going to regurgitate the same three things separate your day into the hourly things that you do so it could be like seven to eight is in the morning is getting the kids ready for school and off to school that could be what you did in that hour the next hour could be going to a cafe with your wife and having a morning tea at a cafe and then it could be a whole bunch of business admin or business meetings and then in the evening, it could be picking up your kids, doing homework, eating dinner, going to bed. So these are all everyday things that most people do. And, and from there, he says, find the three things that you are grateful for for that day. And they can be very small. So for me, I mm-hmm. love coffee. So it could be the, 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 the coffee that I had at the cafe. And a second aspect of that could have been the conversation I had with my wife or, or somebody else who I was with at the cafe, or even having alone time at the cafe. These are very small things. And what it does is it helps us us identify the everyday things that we do in life that give us joy. So it could be, you know, I've got a basketball in the background there. It could be going down and playing basketball. You know, to be honest, when we're adults, we just go on autopilot and we kind of just breeze through each day doing, it feels like Groundhog Day sometimes, particularly when you're parents as well, like you can feel like, oh, here we go again, another sickness, or, you know, this is the routine and you kind of lose lose touch with those good little moments in your day. And so that's been a really cool practice I've done in gratitude journaling. And a lot of people I find have great value in that. But then it was also around getting out into nature and using my five senses to ground myself because the no city mind is, my mind will be on a different planet. And so by grounding myself in the moment, using my five senses, so I love going for Mm -hmm. a walk and it might be brushing my hand against a tree or a bush as I walk past it to feel the texture or it could be watching the, the, the trees swaying in the wind or clouds passing by, or even just smelling like the freshly cut grass when I mow my lawn, all these types of things. Like these are just really good feelings that I get. And so I, I call it mindfulness on the move and it helps me just with, particularly if I'm stressed, I can tune into that, go for a walk, tune into that or a run or whatever. And when I finish, just feel like I'm a bit more present in the world, more relaxed. And then I can go about my day and tackle the next problem that comes up. So that's really how mindfulness has shown up in my life. And then from a, from a therapist's perspective, I draw on what's called acceptance and commitment therapy, which is a, a mindfulness-based practice. And with the work I do with guys particularly, we tune into our values. So we look at the things that make them tick as guys and, and it connects them with their, their true identity. And then we use that to set mindfulness-based goals. Like where do you wanna be in three months or a year? How are we gonna get over this crisis moment at the moment? How can we use our values of who we are to to get the best out of life as well? And so I, I use those tools and I find them really helpful because I've used them myself in my own therapy. Guys go on autopilot like most people, but they kind of get stuck in those, oh, I've got to be tough, I've got to be strong, I can't talk about things, I can't get vulnerable. Right. And they kind of lose touch with the reality as well, or their identity, not necessarily reality, but their identity.
1: I was just going to ask you about that because I think that men's mental health is specifically more challenging not that we i mean there's a stigma around all of it um sarah and i struggle with that all the time but men's mental health and the stigma surrounding that is so much bigger which i am sure is where your movement is coming from in your podcast but maybe we could touch on that a little bit you wrote an article remind me of the title
2: why men need to soften up
1: yes Yes, and I loved it. So maybe you can talk a little bit about that because I think that if we could all just agree that we have emotions and we have feelings and it's okay to talk about it, we might be in a better place.
2: Yeah, I think that the article comes from, you know, that's why I talk about though, growing up in the eighties and nineties and I reference those, like those, those movies we used to watch and the football and all that type of stuff. Cause these are all things that, essentially construct us socially to be who we are like it's like it's like when you're born it's a boy or a girl so boy gets blue girl gets pink right you know that type of stuff so the whole article and mindfulness and men's mental health and the advocacy i do around this is challenging all that stuff and saying hey everything we learned in the 80s and 90s and before that you know 60s 70s you know and even after that as well is it's not necessarily true it's like we can be a boy and wear pink or we can be a girl and wear blue and that's okay and and we can be a guy and be strong and be masculine but also have a softer side that we tune into and we actually let come out because you just have to look at statistics on two things to to realize that guys really struggle in this area and i think it's the social constructs that really inform this it's one is suicide data like men are 75% more likely to die by suicide. Um, and I think it's very similar in the US. I have checked out the US data, very similar data as compared to Australia. And B is 75%, it's, it's this magic 75% number, I'm not sure why, but it's men are more likely to be perpetrators of family and domestic violence than women. So I wonder if there's a lot of guys who don't speak up and say, I am a victim because of the shame mm-hmm. and the stigma associated with, with being perceived as weak sure, yeah. or or less masculine and all that type of stuff. And I tell my story as a way of showing guys that you can talk about this stuff because this is a soft version of, of masculinity, is talking about this stuff very openly. And I do it for the aim of inspiring other guys to do the same because that way that we can maybe bring the suicide data down and Movember is all around men's mental health and, 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 and showing, you know, that guys can talk and should talk and it's a healthy thing to talk as well um and by doing that like maybe we can also bring down the family domestic violence as well i'm a dad and a husband and and we've had some horrific things that we've seen on on our on our media around what men have done to their partners and kids and it's just it shocks me and, and i could never imagine putting my family in that position and I can only imagine that it's either something significant, some significant mental illness happening or maybe even disability or, or distortion of reality or whatever it is, but also bottling it up and and yeah. the, when you bottle things up, eventually it becomes like a volcano. And the only way to express like volcanoes, they don't do it softly, they just blow up and it's yeah. devastation and destruction and, and all that type of stuff. So... By talking about it, we can, and softening up, we can avoid more volcanoes around the, around the world.
1: I never thought about that with domestic violence, but that is so true. It's like displaced anger. It's this anger for all the things that you've gone through and never talked about and never been able to express or find healing from. Hmm. Zero excuse, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that, that that this movement and this idea could potentially help both sides of those things.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Definitely.
0: And I I only have um, American statistics on this, and it's from 2019 from the CDC, that women are more likely than men to have received mental health treatment. Obviously, I think we know that, but the difference is staggering. There's only 13% of men will seek mental health counseling. Then only 11% of them will actually take the medication if they're prescribed it. And I just that to me is is staggering. It's in the difference between wow. you know that and, and women who will seek the mental health treatment and take the medication as a follow up as well. Can yeah. you tell me? medication's
2: to a bit about really that? Yeah, medication's really challenging because like I've been on like ten different meds. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. one and initially before I even went into the doctor's office ten years ago, for probably the two years earlier. I recognised that I needed help, but I was reluctant because I didn't want to be on meds my whole life. It was it was that was a taboo thing for me. But then when I finally went into it, you know, I started different meds, but I had to trial a whole bunch of different ones that made that kind of worked with me because like a lot of them you put on weight, a lot of them make you sleepy, and for guys a lot of them actually you lose your sex drive. Yeah. And so the, these are like when you lose your sex drive and you're a man and test, men are meant to be testosterone driven and want sex 24 7 doesn't no. that's not reality anymore maybe when I was a teenager I'm not sure (laughs) but like (laughs) but like that's a play on masculinity itself if I've got no sex drive and then all of a sudden like am I less of a man because of that but no it's just this is a medication thing and the reason you take medication is to try and balance things out in your brain the challenge with that as well is that we also have other unhealthy coping mechanisms like alcohol and drugs Mm -hmm. and so when you're taking stuff like that it kind of Uh, disconnects the body from the medication you're taking as well so you don't get the full effect of the meds because you're also using alcohol and there's a reason that you know are you taking or don't take alcohol or drugs while you're taking this medication is because you want the medication to work so so that's a bit of a challenge as well and particularly in australia where we have a huge drinking culture like it's part of our identity like we drink from 18 probably earlier um it's all over our sports marketing it's all over our tv marketing everywhere it's it's the same as gambling as well it's just it's a pandemic in itself and you know um but yeah like if you're taking that type of stuff and and then trying to find the right one i can understand why a lot of people give up on the medications because it's not it doesn't work for them they don't realize they can go try a different one or they get sick of trying different ones because you do get like the withdrawals as well Mm -hmm. because every time i change medication I feel really sick as well. There's only been one that I've changed that was amazing, but I can't use it now as a dad because it would knock me out for twelve hours. Like it would just put me to sleep. So I also have trouble oh, wow. sleeping, yeah. mm-hmm. and so I can't really do that in the night. I need I need to be available for my kids if they wake up sick or my wife is something happening in the in the household, and and it does happen in the middle of the night. I've been we've called plenty of ambulances to the house or whatever because my kids are sick or, or whatever. Um, And yeah, so I can't take that one and and so I can medication is a huge thing. I always say that to anyone in the mental health space is like, just find what works for you. It doesn't necessarily have to be medication. I know some people that are really against medication. And so I always look at things like, are you eating right? You know, are you eating a balanced diet? Are you drinking too much? If you are, can you cut back a bit or have some dry time? Are you sleeping enough? And are you exercising? These are four things you can do before medication and before therapy and, and all this type of stuff. And you can do it today. You can go right now after this, you know, or even listen to this podcast while you're doing some of that stuff. Maybe not sleeping, but exercise would be a great one to do it. Um so yeah, do those types of things and then also find someone that you, you respect and trust and love that can is willing to have a conversation around mental illness because it's often like for burnout particularly, like that's that's chronic stress that hasn't been released in a healthy way. And so if you can just find someone to talk about that type of stuff, you might actually avoid burnout altogether just by talking. Mm, and then, yeah. then if you you can't find any relief, that might be when you go, okay, maybe it's therapy, maybe it's medication that I've got to take it to the next level. But also commit to the cause. Like if, if you're feeling unwell, like if you broke your arm, you wouldn't hesitate to go to the doctor and get that fixed, get a cast on. Right. So why don't you do it with your mental health? Like, and, and, exactly. and, and drinking, I've been reflecting on this one recently. When you drink, you go out and you feel relief. You feel some relief. It's like a band aid fix. And yeah. often like you go, I just need to go out with my mates or my friends and go, we'll go partying or we'll go out to a pub or we'll go out for dinner and we'll just get the booze on. We'll-, we'll eat all this food, we'll drink a lot. We'll have a merry time. And for a few hours, you might actually forget what's going on up here and slow. Everything slows down and stuff like that. But the next day you wake up sometimes with a hangover, I'm one of those people that doesn't get hangovers, so it's actually even double-edged sword for me. You might have a hangover, you might have blown 500 bucks on the night. And that's the short-term band-aid fix. But if you invest that $500 on therapy, so in Australia that could get you anywhere between three to four sessions, depending on who, which provider you go for, of therapy. Which actually creates a long-term impact on your life, and wear it on your sleeve. Say, "Yeah, I've got to go. I'm going to go to therapy. I'm I'm going to go and get this stuff sorted because I'm sick of bottling it up. I'm sick of being angry or, or, or tired or sick all the time. I actually want to get help and I want to get it fixed. The same way that we would do our broken arm, you know, because we want to get that yeah. fixed. Because we want to be able yeah. to use our arm. We want to get this fixed so we can use it and, and not be thinking right. about all the other stuff. We want I want to fill this with good stuff and not all the stuff that I'm dwelling on." Mm-hmm and trying to outthink myself.
0: You are obviously very familiar with the stigma and the taboo-ness of men talking about their mental health. So what got you to the point where you said, I'm going to speak up, I'm going to talk about it and encourage other men to do so as well?
2: There's three moments in my life that I think of when I get asked this question. One was when I was a teenager. It was the darkest, my darkest, I call them my darkest days. It was when my OCD was through the roof. It was that moment when we left home and we were living with mum. And I remember one night being so exhausted from all the checking and stuff that I just wanted to put my head on the pillow and not wake up again. I wanted to, to suffocate essentially. And something came into my mind saying, Simon, the sun will always rise tomorrow. I don't know where this came from. I was never into affirmations until only like the last couple of years. And I didn't, yeah, I've never heard of this, but it just popped into my head and, I, and it lifted my head off the pillow. I said, okay, something about the sun, it's it's warm, it's a new day, it's a new opportunity. It, you know, it didn't solve anything back then, but it just gave me a glimmer of hope. And from there, I spent, yeah, it, you know, until I was twenty-eight, and so that was what, you know, 13, 14 roughly. And then twenty so probably twenty-seven, I started recognizing in myself that yeah, I do need help, but I'm not gonna admit it because I'm a man and like I don't wanna admit that I need help. I'm gonna keep trying to do. So I tried to do exercise and drink less, didn't really work. Um, and then there was, when I was 28, when my wife said, basically Simon, you've got to get this sorted, otherwise you've got to get out, you know, and not because she wanted to change me in any way, but because she knew I could be better and she knew I actually wanted help. I just wasn't ready to admit it. But then finally at 28, I'm like, yep, I've got to admit it and have those first few conversations. So that was with my GP, that was with the psychologist. And then I didn't talk about it and unless it was with a counsellor, a psychologist, a psychiatrist. I've seen a mental health social worker as well. Um, I only talked about it with them, but it was through the burnout thing that I'm like, you know what, I'm sick of wearing a mask around mental illness. If I'm gonna talk about burnout at work as part of my recovery and on Instagram, I'm gonna talk about everything else because burnout's just one part of me. Like I've, I've, OCD has been a huge part of me, depression, to a lesser extent, anxiety, although that peaks and troughs, you know, depending on what the situation is. I'm just going to let it all out and actually start living my authentic self and my authentic life and my genuine. And this is me tuning into my values of being authentic. And and, because I just got so sick of hiding parts of my life from everyone, my mum and dad included and my my family included. Um, And it's just so relieving to talk about it. And I'm used to it. I've had a lot of practice over the last 10 years. I've had a lot of practice, but it's so relieving and it gets easier every time. Um, and now I wouldn't hesitate if something's wrong. I just don't hesitate to go straight to the doctor and say, yep, I need help. I'm all over the place. There's red flags that I, I notice. Like I start drinking a lot. I feel cranky all the time. I'm short fused. I just feel miserable and stuff like that. And I recognize I'm probably not exercising. I'm probably not eating right as well. So these are all red flags for me I go. Yep. I'm got to put my hand up i'm going to get help because this is important for me and i'm just living my authentic life it's part of my who i am and i would do anything to try and work through it and and try different things like i've tried breath work recently which i thought was really hippie and weird but it's it's really actually really cool i did men's yoga for a while i'm like that's hippie that's girly thing to do (laughs) yoga and but it was so it was nice it was relieving it was it was self-care like and and guys don't think about self-care a lot like it's seen as a feminine thing to do but self-care is something that avoids a lot of things like burnout and stress and volcanoes erupting because if we we fill our cup with good stuff and we keep it full then You know, We can go a long way to just living a well-balanced life as opposed to trying to put spot fires out all the time because we keep depleting things.
0: Well, we would like to thank you for the work that you're doing in breaking down that stigma and making it more acceptable for men to talk about their feelings because we all know that as we work on ourselves as human beings, regardless of your gender, that we become better people and our relationships improve, we become better parents, it's good all around. So you're only helping yourself, but also helping the relationships that you have as well. So it's definitely a step in the right direction. So I hope that more men feel more comfortable in talking about their feelings and getting the help that they need, even if they don't want to talk to their friends about it. Yes, go to a therapist. <laughs> yes. But- so thank you for doing that work because women can say it all we want but it's not going to have the same impact as men speaking up and saying hey it's okay it's all right to talk about your feelings it's okay to go see a therapist it's okay to take medication it's okay to talk about your mental illnesses we all experience something like let's talk about it let's open the discussion so thank you for doing that because it's not going to have the same impact coming from us
2: and i guess like in thinking about that, there's two affirmations. We talked a bit about affirmations today, and it's something I've only recently come in the last couple of years. There's two that come to mind that if you're listening, if a guy's listening to this right now, and they're, they're like, oh, yeah, I don't wanna, Sarah, I don't care, Amy, I don't care what you're saying, all this whole stuff, hear it from me, all right? Two, one, nothing changes if nothing changes. So if you're struggling, you know you're struggling, but you don't change anything, you will continue to live the same life. Like You have gotta change something. And two, the other one was is, is a great, I don't know where that first one came from, so um, that's not from me, well, you can quote me if you like, but I didn't make it. Um, <laughs> I'll put it on a mug or something or a t-shirt. Um, the other one is a Tony Robbins quote. It's, it's, change happens when the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change. And so if you need any encouragement, think of those two, those two affirmations or quotes or, or mantras and recognize that, yeah, how I'm showing up today is not the guy that I wanted to be. Growing up, because we ask our kids, like, what do you want to do when you grow up? And they're like, oh, I want to be a fireman or a national, or I want to be a YouTube star. And I brought my, my kids into YouTube at the moment, so all of
1: them, star. they all want to be yeah, YouTube stars. stars.
0: Yes. So, I do too. Um...
2: Like, what have I been doing the last ten years? <laughs> trying to do real work. I should, should just be sitting there playing video games or, or something yeah. like that. Um, and it's okay, got men and women, like adults, we can tune back into that stuff and actually cha- we can pivot and change. And, and COVID, as much as everyone, you know, COVID's caused a lot of drama around the world. It also helped a lot of people realize, yes. I don't want to do this anymore. I want to do something different. I want to be the person I I wanted to be when I was a kid. So go do it. Change, change happens when, when you need it to happen. You've got to reflect inwards and go, this is my aha moment. And there's people out there like me who have been through it and now we're trained qualified therapists that we can help you through it as well you don't have to do it alone
1: thank you so much for coming on that was a wealth of knowledge i really feel like there's just so much goodness in this conversation and so many people are going to hopefully we do have a lot of female listeners and what they'll do is pass this episode on to their partners or to their male friends and then we'll also lead them to your podcast too so they can listen in more
2: Wonderful, and thanks so much for having me. It's good that you're wrapping me up because I will talk for the next four hours.
0: Uh... <laughs> <laughs> we will too, though. Like we're very
1: that as well. So it's we will fine. too. We will too. Yeah. yeah.
2: But yeah, no. Thanks so much for coming on and and holding space for a mental health discussion because that's really important as well. Is when you say "Are you okay?" Then allow the time for someone to respond. You know, however yes. that is. And 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 thanks for doing that with me. I really loved our chat today
0: awesome thank we... you again we're going to link everything in our um, show notes so it's the mindful men podcast and you can find that yep. on anywhere you find your podcasts
2: just started a TikTok where i share some of the stuff from my own podcast on there haven't, i've done one dancing thing but that's really corny as a dad <laughs> dancing thing <laughs>
0: <laughs> i love it i can't wait to see that i'm gonna go check it oh, out yeah. as soon as we're done please
2: and then share and then make me viral for all the good reasons <laughs> <Yes>. um <laughs> but yeah like it's just mindful.men.au on most of the platforms um and then the website www.mindful-men.com.au if you're looking at therapy with me i'm only practicing in australia as well so it's really important to note but I do do it Australia-wide through like a Zoom call, or if you're on the Sunshine Coast, I can come meet you in person, we can go down the beach and be mindful there, or go up to the or I want my go therapist to go
1: to the beach with me. <laughs> Same.
0: Wow. <laughs> that sounds amazing. We would have to move from the gray cloud that is Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, though, for us to be able to go to the beach for therapy. It would not take a lot to convince me, <laughs> no. <laughs> Here we come, Simon.
1: <laughs> oh, get come, ready. For come, us. why not? Come to the land <laughs> yes. down under. Yes. <laughs> oh, wow. Thank you, Simon, for being on. We really appreciate your time and your story and your wisdom. Thank you.
0: This episode was brought to you by Sarah Simone and Amy Baumgartner, theme song and other music provided by Epidemic Sound. All episodes are mixed, mastered, and produced by me, Sarah Simone. To help us keep making episodes just like this one, consider supporting us on patreon.com slash unqualified therapists, Inc. Or share us with a friend, relative, coworker, hairstylist, butcher, baker, candlestick maker. Sharing us not only helps keep the mics on, but it furthers our mission in removing the stigma. If you have a mental health journey you'd like to share, email us at Therapists at gmail.com or reach out to us on our website www.unqualifiedtherapists.com until next time hold on warrior we're gonna make it